Good afternoon. It's Friday, April 15th, and this is Chickie Fitzgerald with the Executive Girlfriends Group. And it is my pleasure to introduce our guest today, Lisa McLeod. And Lisa has written a book called The Triangle of Truth. Lisa, before we dive into the book, could you give us a little bit about your background? And uh, I always like to hear kind of the story leading up to what uh, made you put your thoughts down in book form. Well, thanks. Well, it's, um, I'm delighted to be uh, with you all today. And it was really two things. My background is as a business consultant. I do work in the sales and leadership arena. I do a lot of work with organizations around uh, creating the system to support their people and then doing the people development side. And I am also have a fairly normal personal life. I'm married. I have two kids. And one of the things that I saw in this realm as a business consultant and also in my personal life was that almost every time you got inside of a problem, it had to do with other people. And what I came to realize was that this inability to see any perspective outside our own, which is sometimes very arrogant and malicious and sometimes just a a lack of information, what I saw was that's really this way that we have a thinking where we can't see any other points of view That really holds us back in a variety of areas. And I saw the same problem showing up in personal situations because I speak to a lot of groups and people would come up to me afterwards and they would say, well, I know you were talking about, you know, how we can better connect with our customers or I know you were talking about how we can provide, you know, more direction and get our staff on the same team, but I want to talk to you about a problem I'm having with my husband or my wife or my kid. And people would always come up with that. And so I realized that most of the books that were written around problem solving or how to get people on the same page tended to either tackle it from a business perspective or a personal perspective. And what I realized is we're human. We take the same brain everywhere we go. And we think we may have lots of problems, but we don't. We have one problem, and it's other people and our inability (laughs) get them to do what we want them to do. And so I thought, if we solve that problem, we solve all the other problems. And so that's what prompted me to write the book. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Well, Lisa, um, you just got back from from a a trip. Were you overseas? or I know you said it was international. but Yeah, I was over some seas. I was in Bermuda, actually which um, is where we have a client. We have a major client in Bermuda, and we were on site doing a project. So in terms of, you know, places that you could have a major client and do projects, it's a pretty good one. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. You know, I've only been there once, but it is quite challenging to travel there because the the flight schedules aren't aren't always terrific. Where do you live, Lisa? Um, I live in Atlanta, and so actually Bermuda is not that tough to go to. So Uh we have a financial... Unbeknownst to a lot of people, there's a lot of financial services in Bermuda, and we work with a financial services client. We do work with their executive leadership team and help them um, with a lot of the issues that they face with their customers. All right. Well, let's just dive right into to the book. And and there there are seven principles that are outlined in the book. But you know, I know you you have uh, put some very interesting teasers in in the front of the book in the introduction of, uh, and and I included some of them in the introduction that I sent to the executive girlfriends group members. But you you mentioned Mary Kay. You mentioned Elvis. 
you mentioned Buddha and you mentioned Barack Obama all in the same sentence. So yeah, I think that, and this, that, is, that this is not up. a crazy uh, LSD dream. <laughs> well, it sounds a little bit like that. So why don't you walk us through that whole, uh, just the framework of, of what got you to see this problem, and you shared a little bit of that and how you got to the place where you wrote the book. But what is the Triangle of Truth? Well, the Triangle of Truth, we, I taught negotiating skills for years. I used to teach the Harvard Negotiating Skill class. And one of the things that I came to realize as I taught that was that much of – and the, the skills in there are just absolutely excellent. And what I saw was that some people could execute the same process and get a completely different result. And what I realized was it was because they were bringing a different mental frame of reference to the process. And so I was having this experience doing this with a lot of salespeople and a lot of leaders. And one of the things that happened was during this time, it was actually during the 2004 election, which was a very polarizing election. You may remember it was Bush versus Kerry. And um, I was part of two communities. One was very, very conservative, and one was very liberal. And they both assumed I agreed with them. So they spoke freely about the other side. And what I came to see was this I'm right, so you must be wrong mentality that is so obvious in politics and so clearly counterproductive in politics. What I came to realize, and I heard a lot of good people talking about those people on the other side and they just don't get it and they just don't understand they're evil and they're awful and they're making all these assumptions. And in both cases, they were talking about my friends. <laughs> so right. I knew their assumptions weren't right. But what I came to see was it's exaggerated in politics. And so I started doing research on the human mind, and what I realized is this either-or way of thinking is the default of the human mind. So go back to negotiating skills. And what I saw was when I tracked people, the people who approached a negotiation, not from the mindset of, okay, we're on two different planes, we've got a compromise, I'm going to give a little, you get a little. Those people did okay. But the people who were super successful were the people who said, you know what, there might be a way that we could combine our perspectives. Instead of me giving a little and you giving a little, let's figure out what we actually really want. And instead of approaching it with an either-or mindset, they approached it with a both-and mindset. So then I got to study more, and what I came to realize was people who could embrace two seemingly conflicting ideas at the same time had actually been some of the greatest successes of all time. And Mary Kay is an excellent example. Mary Kay combined two seemingly, at the time, competing ideas, which were selling and nurturing. And when she started her business, no one would have dreamed those two things went together. But they right. became, the became the foundation for her business. The other thing I saw is Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein found a way to combine science religion. He has a very famous quote that um, I think science without religion is irrelevant, religion without science is lame or something. And um, I kind of got that right. So he was able to combine things that other people saw were opposite. I look at Elvis. Elvis Presley combined country with what was thought of as this very white form of music with gospel, which was at the time thought of as this very black form of music, and he became the king of rock and roll. And the thing that Obama did, and he's struggling a little bit with it lately, but he came out of nowhere because that day when he got up on the stage, 
at the 2004 convention, and he said, we're not a red America or blue America or the United States of America. Everybody went, who's that guy? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that guy. We like that guy. You know, and whether you agree with his politics or not, that was a moment that spoke to what people wanted. And so what I realized was what I need to explore and break down is how do you actually do this? How do you combine two perspectives in a way where the sum of them is greater than either of them could be alone? And so that's what I ended up writing a book about because it's whether you're in a conflict with someone or even if it's you calling on a customer, the more you can combine your two perspectives or you working with a team member. And so I came up with some processes that enable people to do that. And so that's what the book ended up being about. And so that is how the long-winded answer of how Einstein, Elvis, Mary Kay, and Barack Obama all ended up in the opening uh, paragraphs of my book. <laughs> well, now that makes a whole lot more sense. So let, let's just walk through the principles. And you've talked a little bit about principle one, which, uh, you know, and, and I was looking at it to see if there was a typo because I downloaded this to my Kindle while we were waiting. And the the first one is embrace and. And, and I kept thinking, well, embrace and what? Uh, when I looked yeah. at that, but but now it makes complete and total sense. So, yeah, so uh, is there anything more that you'd like to add on that? Well, this is where the triangle model comes in, and a visual is really helpful to people because it's one thing to say embrace and, oh, yes, your perspective, my perspective, we'll all sing kumbaya, but it doesn't always work like that in relationships or in business. And so this is where the triangle perspective comes in, and this is one of the tools we use with business leaders. And I'll give you an example. Um, so you draw out a triangle on a piece of paper. So everybody who's listening to the call, draw a triangle. And on the left side of the triangle, you have your perspective. So you can write my agenda there. On the right side, you have their agenda. And what we've been taught traditionally is that we need to compromise in the middle. But that never works because nobody really wants to compromise. And the first time the other side does anything that annoys you, the compromise unravels because you didn't want to do it in the first place. It's not sustainable. Right. And so what I realized is the reason that people have to compromise is because we jump to solutions too quickly. And we are approaching it from this belief that, well, if you want this and I want that. And the reason we call it the triangle of truth is one of the exercises that we do with people is you've got to dial back and get to the truth, the real truth, not the solution. And I'll make a differentiator here since we're now in this huge debate about healthcare. One side's fundamental truth is every person in America should be should should be provided with care. You should just because you don't have money doesn't mean you shouldn't have health care. The other side, fundamental truth is we don't want to bankrupt our country and we don't want to destroy, you know, all incentives for people in healthcare to perform. What happens is there's violent disagreements about the solution. But when you can dial it back to the real truth, like I'll give you another example. We just did this with an executive leadership team. We have one set of people that are very, very process-oriented. We've got to have a process for this. We've got to have a process for this. We have another set of people that are saying, but you're neglecting the human side. But people need this. But people need that. So you've got process on the left side. You've got people on the right side. And where you get the best decisions is, by harnessing the power of both of those and what the triangle tool does for you, and it's a simple triangle, but we do use worksheets on it and things like that when we're in executive sessions, is you write down, okay, like on the process side, what are all the processes we need to have in place? 
then write down what are the actions we want all our people to take, what are the human interactions, and then say, okay, now we have it all on the table. Now we can come up with a plan. So that's where the both-and thing comes in. It's one thing to say it, but in order to put it in practice, you have to be very, very rigorous about what the truth really is. Okay, well, that is really really helpful in understanding that and I need to now navigate back to my uh, table of contents here I am just loving having this on the Kindle normally I'm looking at Amazon just at the table of contents and now I'm excited because I have your book to read Good. Uh, so principle number two is to make peace with ambiguity and I, I know that this is a hard one for a lot of people and and it's, oh, it's very hard for me because you know I I would really like to know what the outcome will be. What the outcome and, will be. Right, and we don't always know that. Well, and we've been given a lot of coaching, which is not invalid coaching, which says begin with the end in mind. Right. And that's true. There is a very uh, famous quote from F. Scott Fitzgerald, which says, um, um, "It." The ability to tolerate two seemingly conflicting ideals in your mind at the same time is a sign of the keen intelligence. There's also a very famous quote from Einstein that says, neurosis is the inability to tolerate ambiguity. So the reason, the first principle is embrace and. The second principle is make peace with ambiguity. And the reason why is I'll go back to, say, a sales example where the customer's got their agenda and I've got my agenda. How many of us have been with a salesperson who was so focused on their own agenda that they missed all kinds of cues from the customer. Oh, completely. And so what we teach people how to do is you've got to, whether it's you going into a leadership meeting, whether it's the process people fighting with the people people, what you've got to do is be able to go in with a plan and be flexible at the same time. And so what that means is I've got certain things that I believe to be true about the organization and certain outcomes that I want, yet at the same time, I'm going to be flexible about how we get there. And if you and if you can get one of the things we've seen with the executive leadership team is when we say, okay, we're going to use this and, embrace and, we're also going to adopt the second principle, which is make peace for, with ambiguity. And so that means we're going to be calm as we work through this. Because what happens that you see, happens in personal relationships, happens in business, is people think, oh, my God, the process people are dominating the meeting. What about the human side? What about the human side? And so, and it goes off the rails. Right. And so what you've got to be able to do is say, okay, we're going to get to an end. may take half an hour. may take five minutes. may take two weeks. And I'm okay with the process because that just takes all that anxiety out of it. So it seems like that uh, sets you up for the next one, which is is holding right. space for other perspectives. Because you know clearly, if there is something that is ambiguous about what you're doing, someone at some point will have a perspective uh, right. that might be able to shed light on that ambiguity. Well, and a lot of the research I did for the book, one of the things I found was in some of these studies, and it, and it's written for the layperson. I'll tell you that, but it, I did some scientific some some research in the scientific community about the brain. And one of the things we found is when you are interacting with someone else, only 7% of what they respond to is your content, the words you say, the actual things coming out of your mouth. The other 93% of their response is to your tone and your body language. And 
a lot of that response is subconscious. And so the reason that we say hold space for other perspectives, the first one is embrace and. The second one is make peace with ambiguity. And there's a real logical order to this. And it's about getting, first, I've got to get my own brain right. And those are what we call the two reflecting principles. Embrace and make peace with ambiguity. Then we go into the next principles, which are the connecting principles. And that says, I've got to, I'm not just waiting for them to finish talking so I can start. I am actually making a conscious, intentional, mental effort to open up a space in this conversation for that other person. So in the process, you can come stand outside you hear this. It's <laughs> okay. Um, in this, I'll go back to this client example that we just have where we were trying to work out a performance management system and set goals for the organization. So if I'm one of the process people and the people people start talking and they start saying, well, we need to really nurture our people, we need to be more creative, and I'm, the top of my head's about to blow off because I'm thinking, oh, my God, we just need a good system, people. Then <laughs> what I need to consciously do is say, okay, there's room for their perspective, and once I once I can wrap my mind around the fact that it might actually be helpful, that it's not in conflict with mine, we'll have a much more productive conversation and we'll get a better result faster. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you talk about uh, just waiting for a break in the conversation so that you can get your thoughts in. And, and right. I remember, I mean, I mean, I still do it from time to time now, but I've gotten much better because I, I sit and write down those things that that are part of my my agenda and my perspective. Right. And I write them instead of waiting to say them. So now, you know, I think it would be really, really useful, and this may be one of your Triangle of Truth tools, is when a meeting starts to draw that triangle right away on the piece of mm-hmm. paper in front of me where I'm taking my notes because I think that that will – you know, give me a framework to write that down. And then, you know, figuring out at the end of the meeting what the truth is sounds like a a really good way to move. You know, this next principle, principle number four, I've got a mentor who um, he used to be the CEO of of an airline in Asia and uh, is someone I've known for, uh, gosh, 20, 25 years. And uh, he he lives these next few uh, principles. So principle number four is seek higher ground. And you're you're exactly right on picking up on drawing the triangle. The organizations we work with, we provide some tools to do that, and when it becomes embedded in their culture, they just walk in and do it on a flip chart. Because what happens is, to your point, when you write down your perspective, then I've got it down and I can put it on pause. Right. That's what we observe with the most successful leaders could could would write theirs down and have a plan and that confidence that it was there on paper, allowed them to pause, which takes you to this next step, which is seek higher ground. Well, the only way I'm going to find a combined solution for us is if I know what your agenda is. And a lot of the training that I had seen prior to this and a lot of the leadership development was around you've got to listen, you've got to be caring, you've got to be kind. (laughs) And all that sounds really good until there's money on the table or budget or the big IT project, or stress. And so what I realized was really seeking higher ground and understanding their perspective 
isn't just about being kind and nice and doing the right thing. It's about becoming smarter and more powerful. Because if you and I are in a conversation and we're trying to come up with a solution together, whether we're department heads trying to get our organization aligned around certain goals or whether you're the customer and I'm the salesperson, if I know my agenda but you know your agenda and my agenda, you are the more powerful person in that conversation. Mm-hmm. And you are going to be the one that's going to be able to guide the conversation in a more effective way. So the person who knows both people's agendas actually is a smarter, more powerful person. And so one of the things that we work with leaders on, because we deal with a lot of type A you know, executive types, is to really show them how understanding the the other person, you can be very proactive in that. It's not this wimpy, waiting thing. It's about really proactively. If I'm a department head and I'm the head of IT and you're the head of finance, if I want to be a really strong leader, instead of just going in and belligerently trying to get my agenda, I need to, before the meeting, find out yours, come up with a plan and say, well, now I've got a meeting. I've got a plan for this organization that's going to help both of these. And you're going, yeah, good idea, good idea. And guess who's guess who's coming out of that? A very strong leader. Absolutely, absolutely. So again, it, it fits right into the next one, which is to discern the intent, discover, discovering the real truth behind the imperfect solutions. Right, right. Yeah, so talk because, to us about that. Well, a lot of times, people the discern intent is a lot of times people will be presenting something that they think is the solution. And it may seem flawed to you, but if you can really look behind that, in many cases, like, for example, finance person says, we need to have three sign-offs on every expenditure over $2. Well, that's going to, you know, jam up your organization. You say, oh, they're just trying to get control of everything. They just want to bog down things. No, they don't. They just want to make sure they know where the money's going. And the closer you can get to really understanding, oh, they just want to have good financial controls and know where the money's going. Oh, I agree with that. So now let's work on a plan. And so that's where the discern intent is. Well, and that just, we talked earlier about working with husbands and boyfriends. Yeah. My husband and I just had this very, very same argument because he's my controller as well as my husband and the father of my children. And he wanted me, every time I wanted to use the business debit card, to call him. (laughs) It's like... You know, I understand what you're trying to get at, but that's not it, babe. <laughs> that's not it, yeah. So, so I wanna, I, I'm just looking. I'm going to have to run to the uh, next thing, so I want to get these other principles in the interest of time. Great, great. Well, let's uh, move on then to elevate others. Yeah, elevate others is when someone, this is a real leadership competency. When you have someone that is really stuck, like the finance guy. We've got to have finance and everything over $3. We've got to have this. And we've all worked with these people. What a true leader is able to do is ask the right questions. And we've got a number of examples in the book of the right kinds of questions to ask people, not to manipulate them, but to really open their minds to the larger picture. And so when you have that person who's stuck, when you say, what impact, instead of saying, that's going to jam up the whole organization, you moron, What a real leader will do is a real leader will say, what impact do you think that will have on the organization? Walk me through that. 
and then the person will start to see, hmm, that might happen, that might happen. And then what a really excellent leader will do is not, I told you so, then they'll go, okay, sounds like you've really, you've really got some big thinking on this. Why don't you think through all the implications <laughs> and try and come up with a process that would enable us to do X, Y, Z. And so that's what I mean by elevate others, is it's really mm. taking their thinking to the next level because that's what a real leader does. They lift up the people around them, make the people around them smarter. A lot of people think being a leader means being the smartest one in the room. If you're really the smartest one in the room, then you help the other people be smarter too. And the way you do that is not by telling them what to do, but by asking them questions that ignite this higher-level conceptual thinking. And so we've got a lot of examples in the book of how to do that. So then take us through the last one, be the peace. Well, the last principle is really around you go through all of these, and I'll do them, you know, you've got reflecting on your own thinking, I'm going to embrace Anne, I'm going to make peace with ambiguity, I'm going to hold space for others, I'm going to seek higher ground, I'm going to really try and figure out where they're coming from, discern intent, I'm going to elevate their way of thinking. And the reason the last one is be the peace is it's really about how you show up for your team and your organization and your customers. And we think the problem is conflict and differing perspectives. That is not the problem. The problem is our inability to manage it. The problem is that we don't see the merit to other perspectives. And so if you employ these first six principles, you then become the one that brings people together. You know, it's not that hard to rally people around your perspective and drive people apart, but it's a real leader who knows how to bring people together around their best aspirations. Because when people are united around their highest aspirations, it does not matter whether you are an IT department, whether you are a sales team, or you are a country. When you are united around your best aspirations, there's nothing you can't do. And that's what real leaders do for people. Well, Lisa, you have uh, completely wet our appetite for <laughs> to you further. So I am hoping we can find a time in, in uh, the future when we can have you back. I would love to. Um, well, I just want to let folks know, yeah, her her uh, her tools that are available for download are on uh, www.triangleoftruth.com, and I'm just taking a look at that, and there's a lot of really, really practical stuff there. But you guys are going to want to buy this book because uh, I, I uh, as I said, just downloaded it on my Kindle, and I just can't wait to find time this weekend where I can squirrel away where nobody knows where I am and read it. <laughs> Well, I hope I hope people do buy it. I hope they read it. I'll also tell you, knowing that time is short for people, we have a number of shortcut tools for leaders and for salespeople that are free on the site. Well, I am excited about this. And, Lisa, I will be inviting you to the Executive Girlfriends Group uh, website. You are welcome to join us any Friday uh, just to, to join the call. We have authors and experts every single week on different topics and uh you know we'd love to have you join us again and we'll we'll figure out a time when we can uh, perhaps dig into something uh Okay. Well that sounds great. I'm going to have to jump basis. off now, but pleasure to be with you all. If anyone has a question or a comment, feel free to send me a personal email. Click the contact okay. button on the website and I'm right there. Great. Well, thank you okay. so much. Have Lisa. a great afternoon. Thanks. All right. 
terrific, and I'm going to turn off the recording now because what's set on the rest of the egg call stays on the rest of the egg call.